0: You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in
1: episode 492, Harlem, 1969, and the Summer of Soul, the hard graft of being an influencer in Dubai, and The Clash and Sandinista 40 years on. Is it really that bad? That's all coming up after Prefab Sprout and Cowboy Dreams.
2: Cowboy Dreams. Cowboy dreams You give me cowboy dreams Love's a
0: silver bullet That blows your world apart I wanna be remembered as an outlaw The boy who stole your heart I wanna be the guy who wears the white hat Then rides across the plain. I'm gonna be an enigmatic stranger Honey, you are looking at your shame my boy dreams
2: I'm gonna be the hanging judge and sheriff
3: He's a magician, a modern-day alchemist who writes and performs music that is like an elixir of life, then he Mm. disappears for a couple of decades. (laughs) Um, (laughs) This is from an often-forgotten album, immaculately produced by Tony Visconti, written by Paddy McAloon from the album The Gunman and Other Stories, Prefab Sprout and Cowboy Dreams.
1: That is that is a, a, a peach, and I agree with all you say. I think Paddy McAloon is um, really underrated as singer-songwriters go. I think they're I think they're they're pretty uh, they're pretty amazing. Um, he did a really really good. Um, there are various radio programs that he's done around this. He he released an album called I Trawl the oh, Megahertz. Oh, I love it.
3: I played it this week.
1: Yes, I thought you might have done. There is some uh, talking about the period during which he was left blind in. 1999 or virtually blind due to detached retinas he was housebound and he listened to a lot of shortwave radio transmissions like chat shows phoning programs documentaries and that he uh he uh, fragmented these and added bits and bobs in. it's a smashing album and there's um he's i think i've heard him talking about this on a podcast i can't remember where mm-hmm. but he's 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 discussed it somewhere and it might be shortcuts or somewhere like that and it is It is brilliant I I think he's such an underrated It stands That album
3: stands with um, Philip Glass And uh, other uh, Of that ilk doesn't it Absolutely lovely. Well, hello and yippee yaay, uh, and welcome to the parish council. It's episode 492.
1: Mm, how how can it be? Eh? We all look, be? We, we both look so young as well.
3: <laughs> I'm Terence Stackham, and home on the range from the dusty mean streets of Hastings. It's the Jackie Weaver of podcasting, <laughs> Juliet Harris.
1: I hope that you've read the standing orders and understood them, Terence. I don't um...
3: have authority, Juliet
1: Harris.
3: You do not have authority. <laughs> Was on the genuinely on the parish council in my village for ten years, and we never had no. any instance. Of that. It was all sort of planning applications, well, and uh, yeah, you know, c- could this tree be be brought down, yeah. and all this and, sort of thing. And it was no, nothing that's... like uh, that council. Now, many people of my generation, um, if we think of a music festival of 1969, especially a, a movie of a music festival in 1969, we think of Woodstock, um, Crosby, Stills mm-hmm. and Nash, Richie Havens, Jimi Hendrix, Don't Touch the Brown Acid, all that stuff mm But there's a new movie coming out this year, directed by Amir Thompson, that explores, uh, to put it mildly, uh, a difficult time in American history. Um, Yes, another one. Um, Mm. (laughs) But but somehow the New York City Parks Department were persuaded to allow a series of summer concerts in a park Mm. in Harlem as part of the Harlem Cultural Festival. And to put into perspective the atmosphere in New York City in 1969, the police department refused to provide assistance for the event so security was organized by the black panther movement Mm. but as for the music bb king fifth dimension gladys knight mahalia jackson uh, sly and the family stone and a 19 year old stevie wonder jules the movie is released later this year but we've been sent a few clips this looks like a cracker doesn't it
1: it really, really looks incredible. I know we, t- we talked about Amazing Grace, the Aretha mm. Franklin concert film a few weeks ago, and this made me feel similar in that it feels like you're sort of, you're spectating it feels like you're kind of looking in on a room although it's a festival it feels to me like like you're you're looking on at a very personal sort of moment and a very even though it's a festival there is just something about it like you say the time at which it was it was done um it makes me laugh about you know another difficult point in american history it in american history it makes me laugh the uh, that the announcer for Hollyoaks on channel four always says emotional times in Hollyoaks, seemingly every day so Seems, as it always seems to be emotional times in Hollyoaks on Channel 4 it's very often turbulent times in american history there are very few times when it's not really but it's it's uh, looking at this rev- this kind of preview type review by Jordan Hoffman in the Guardian um saying you know how how explosive it is and he talks about and um, it's it's uh, made by Questlove um which i hadn't realized the kind of the the uh, the singer i think he was involved in the roots was he i'm trying to i'm trying to think he, he- it's
3: Army Thompson, a, yeah. He's a, he's a
1: drummer. No, no, yeah, well known as Questlove. That's his, yeah, like, that's right. his kind yeah. of performing name, yeah. So um I think he's involved in the, with, with the roots and, and, and performers like that. Um it talks about uh this review talks about Mavis Staples complete singing her section, um, section of uh Take My Hand, Precious though which is a gospel song. Um it's it's uh Martin Luther, it was Martin Luther King's um Uh, Favourite song and uh, the crowd have just heard uh, Jesse Jackson giving a eulogy to commemorate pretty much a a year since he passed away. And uh, the crowd becomes rapturous and uh, Staples passes the mic to Mahalia Jackson, who just explodes with emotion. I cannot wait to see this. I cannot wait to see this this uh, event eulogized at a time where you know we've had the black lives matter movement yes it's depressing that we seem to be having this conversation again or have had to have this conversation again but you know it feels it feels embarrassingly timely but also i think inspiringly timely as well and uh i i i can't wait to see i've watched those clips so many times i just i think the and and again i think it's a film that really needed making because you know, all the time. I I know that it's great and I know that we love it, but all of the different times that we've seen Woodstock reproduced in different ways. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about it on the podcast more than once, you know, the, the 400 quid version, you know, the, the surround sound version, the edible version, I assume is coming <laughs> next year. I don't know. there have been all sorts of different expressions of that. Yet yeah, this story has gone untold until now. And of course, you know, if you want to dig into the colour of people at Woodstock and the colour of people at, 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 at this Harlem festival, you know, there's a there's a point there, I suspect. But it just it just the the film record and this goes to show how things were different then. Um it, um, who knows, hopefully they're different now the list, like you said, the list of people B.B. King, Stevie Wonder, Fifth Dimensions Sly and the Family Stone, Nina Simone Max Roach, Abby Lincoln Hugh Masekela, Mongo Santa Maria Gladys Knight and the Pips, David Wright uh, Ruffin of the Temptations they couldn't get any buyers for the record they filmed, they filmed it and they could get no buyers and Woodstock became the synonymous, it was like they only had room for one film about that that generation, so I'm really glad that um uh, that, that this has been changed and also interestingly the original sur- uh, working title for this was black woodstock oh dear. but that has been changed and i'm glad it's now summer of soul and i think that's much better um because the concerts had um separate aims they were different things and there was i think a um, far more of a of an overtly political protest direction to, to summer of soul and i think it is it just sounds brilliant. It sounds, uh, although in true Guardian style, bless the Guardian, don't ever change. At the end of this article, I note this article was amended on the 30th of January as Barry Gordy was originally mistakenly referred to as Barry Gordon. Oh, dear old Lord. <laughs> nice to see that the the, the, the sub editors at the Gu- yeah. that the, the, the writers at the Guardian are now 21 years old and therefore have to have it explained who mm-hmm. Barry Gordy is. I don't know, but no, I think this looks fab. I completely agree with you. I can't wait to see it.
3: The clip we were sent of Nina Simone singing Revolution is extraordinary. It's oh, a good.
1: Yeah, off the scale, off the scale, I think.
3: Good sign for the rest of the movie as well. The sound is really great. So it's an yeah. absolutely stunning performance by Nina Simone, wearing, by the way, what looked like the heaviest and biggest earrings ever made. I'm, I'm amazed she could she's... actually walk. Wearing she's those just
1: earrings. she's just nails, isn't she? <laughs> mm. <laughs> well, she delivers
3: this song with such passionate determination. it's very moving, and as you mentioned, there's Jesse Jackson wearing a fetching waistcoat and he gives mm. a speech it's it's very it is very telling though, as you mentioned that although over i think fifty hours of footage was shot at the festival at the time in nineteen sixty nine no networks showed any interest in broadcasting like, anything rid- more ridiculous. than just like news you know clips for the news New yeah. yeah. Really? I can't and, wait and, to see this.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and also interesting that you know that it's taken until now for anybody to be interested in this. Really, possibly on the back of on the back of BLM. I don't know, but yeah, absolutely. This is going to be a cracker. I think.
3: Released this year, uh, later this year, the Summer of Soul. Um, coming right up, the trials and tribulations of being a full time influencer, dawdling in Dubai. That's next after Stevie
2: Nicks.
1: My life about samples being used in songs at the beginning is that you often have five to ten seconds where you're not sure which song it is. My uh, friend's partner is always caught out by Harlem Shuffle and Jump Around. They, they use the... Duh, and you literally don't know for the first five seconds whether it's going to be whether you're then getting a whether you're then getting Harlem Shuffle or a, or you know House of Pain's, uh House Classic jump around. Um, similarly here, the chugging guitar at the beginning is it Edge of Seventeen by Stevie Nicks or is it Bootylicious by Destiny's Child? One of the most memorable uses of a sample ever. I heard that song before I heard this, and when I pressed play on it a few years ago. I thought, oh, oh, that's where that's from then. As as regular listeners, though, I do love spotting the samples. So, but the, but this song in its own right is is incredible. I think it's got such a a far reaching vocal to it. It's it's. You know, it's it's the right balance between Stevie the Mystic and Stevie the Rock Chick, I think, because she, she has both things about her. And I think I think if there is too much Mystic, then I tend to be less interested. But then having said that, the, the, the dimension of Mystic takes this from just being a great rock song and takes it somewhere else entirely. I think I think this is superb. That is Edge of Seventeen by Stevie Nicks.
3: I was very lucky, I think, to see uh, the proper fleet with Mac, but with, with Lindsay Buckingham, not oh, from before the contretemps.
1: Oh, yes, uh, of course, but, yeah. Uh,
3: yeah, Stevie Nicks, she's a bit bonkers, but utterly wonderful, I think.
1: Mm, yeah, she is really, really good. Yeah. It's a
3: pretty rare day when we quote the UK Home Secretary Pretty Patel here. Mm. Um, but strange well, times...
1: Well, with bring... anything other than contempt, it has to be said, <laughs> yeah.
3: Strange times bring... Strange quotes. And in a period of just about global lockdown, we have these reality TV stars and, and what a great job title. This is social media influencers who tell us that their jaunts to the Maldives or Dubai are essential work travel. Well, pretty Patel in the House of Commons uh, this week said that showing off is not a reasonable exemption for not staying at home but you see the thing though is are we all guilty of being old-fashioned here is Mm. grifting for money on the internet and rinsing cash out of gullible companies a viable form of employment in the modern age apparently jules top influences Uh, they charge companies anywhere from 400 quid to 20 grand to Mm. collaborate or endorse a brand and kylie jenner who's one of the kardashian mob Mm -hmm. um, received nearly a million dollars for one single post about a skincare product so surely jules we should be celebrating these young entrepreneurs as they pose by the poolside in dubai
1: I mean, it, it, as you say, it is a it is a rare day where I find myself <laughs> on the same page as a pretty Patel. A very rare day, in, indeed. I was going to say a cold day in hell, but given I can currently see snow in front of me, perhaps it is. But um. I, you know, I, I, we've previously expressed our views. I'm just trying to find a way to into this. We've previously expressed our views on this con, on this in this podcast at length at various times about so-called social media influencers and how ridiculous this all is and how what a massive grift this all is. And so, obviously, I think most people will be able to work out how we feel about this. But I, I find this so offensive. I really do. I, I find it so tone deaf. It just goes to show that. Bless them. I understand that there isn't audience for this reality tv stuff and that it does mean a lot to particularly younger people so i don't want to seem like i'm trashing something just because it isn't my thing but it just shows a total lack of intellect empathy understanding i mean you could just say it, it goes beyond that what's so upsetting is that it goes beyond people just being stupid <laughs> and people just not having any understanding or empathy of just how awful the pandemic has been over here and just how awful it looks you know if even if you're a fan of someone if your mom is currently in hospital on a ventilator because mm. of coronavirus and you know you're looking at pictures of these people who are and i think the most anno- most annoying thing about it is that they're claiming that they're working so hard. <laughs> so there've been various um, various people who have been uh, who have been desperately trying to say uh, uh, the only way is Essex star James Locke I don't know who this is, but anyway, this is, he's quoted here. Posted at least two images of his laptop with unspecified graphs on the screen. You see, that's how you show you're working hard. Just I get a graph. See, indeed, get a graph. yes. Mm. In his stories, which is you know these kind of little reels you can put on Instagram um, on Wednesday morning morning he told his followers he and his girlfriend Yasmin Okelu, I think that's pronounced were working away despite what you might think we are still grafting he posted a picture of himself sunbathing with a drink but no laptop an hour later yes it is an incredibly hard job you know forget these people that are trying to work out who to ventilate and who not to in the NHS whilst wearing bin bags because they haven't got any PPE the people out in Dubai they are the real true heroes and we've been dark. To, uh, to overlook that um, <laughs> the uh, the girlfriend who's Okelu okay, also an influencer has previously explained that the Dubai trip was for an unavoidable product launch. We are here for work purposes, for business, she said. Obviously, we'll make the most of it while we're here as well. Again, you know, what wood, what trees, there, I think. There are loads of people doing this. Geordie Shaw, which is the Newcastle based equivalent of Jersey Shaw, stars Chloe Ferry, Soe uh, Kasai, um, Kasai sorry, and Beth Kershaw, said the apartment they rented had a room devoted to producing sponsor content. Well, we have room. I've got a room, it's called My Office, where I record this podcast. Um, Gabby Allen, another Love Islander, has told her followers, Hey guys, just to let you know, thank God you've told me, Gabby. I was worried I wouldn't know about what was going on in your life. We made the decision to fly out to Dubai as my boyfriend's business is based here and luckily allows us to travel. This goes back to what I would say to anybody during this time, which is it's not a question of what you can do. It's a question of what you should do. And this is the issue. You know, even if the rules allow you to do something, is it a good idea? And this is just so stupid. It turns out others could have travelled before the UK ban. So there are some people that have been out there since... um, since before the second lockdown although you know like like many i'm starting to lose track of which lockdown we're on it's 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 all starting to get a bit dizzying. but anyway um the love star island star kaz crosley has been there since october so for those of you that are in other places at the moment don't worry if you feel displaced because the agent has said that kaz is therefore a resident rather than a tourist because she's been there since october which i don't know i stay with my parents for three weeks at christmas as part of my support bubble does that mean I was resident there for three weeks I don't know and I, I love this the way this has been reported and written up in the Guardian by Archie Bland and Matthew Weeder. there's some interestingly out um interestingly eyebrow raised kind of I love the way this has been put the extraordinary proliferation of workaholic influences in Dubai which I think is just <laughs> so acidic I love that because are these people really working is is being an influencer i putting a picture up of you putting some perfume on on you know in on a beach is, is that a job? I'm not convinced it is. Although if you're getting paid for it, presumably it is. But I don't know. I, it, it takes me back to, and I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I would recommend it again. The excellent uh, one-off drama that was shown as part of the BBC Three strand. Um, it's on. I think it's still on iPlayer. It's worth looking for. Written by Reggie Yates of all people, the TV presenter, um, called Make Me Famous. That follows the the um, the antics and and problems of A bloke that's been on a fictional program that is obviously meant to be Love Island, but they don't actually call it Love Island. But it's very (laughs) clear what it is. It involves romance on a beach somewhere. And it follows this chap, Billy, who is trying to make a career post Love Island. And the problem is that the, the new series is about to come out and he was the bad boy and there's about to be a new bad boy. And It's it's a very affecting piece, actually. It's very well done. And the only way he seems to be making money at this point, because he can't charge much for PAs anymore, because it's yesterday's news, is every so often an alarm goes off and he has to film a video of himself promoting this almost like sort of weightlifting supplements some sort of powder thing and you see it sort of stacked up in piles <laughs> in the in the in the bare warehouse flat that he's living in and so every 3 hours when he's at his mum mum's house the phone goes off when he has to go oh hey guys it's billy here you know have my shake today and that kind of stuff and it does make you think oh, what a, what a strange although we are slagging these people off and i think rightly so for trying to argue that they are working very hard in dubai um <coughs> Part of me thinks there is a darker side to this, which perhaps we should remember whilst we are, you know, putting Mm. these people down, which is that several, there have been several people taking their own lives that have been on these programs in the last two or three years, particularly the Love Islanders. There's been several, (coughs) excuse me, incidents where they have, you know, they have suffered or they've struggled to deal with what happens afterwards. These people are very young in most cases. I'm not saying that they're not behaving daftly, but you know, the people that have taken their lives have been in their 20s or, uh, or early 20s in some cases and, and do not get the care and the support. And this drama drives at that as well, I think, and does that very well. They don't get the support afterwards. And part of me thinks, well, you know, yes, it's all very well for us to kind of laugh at these people now and be annoyed at them for, for you know, for, for, for not following the rules or for, you know, not being self-aware in what they're doing. But equally, in 18 months time, they might not have anything to do at all. And they might not have the people there to help them, so it 's frustrating and and you know as, as much as i 'm mostly with pretty Patel on this, I do think that there is a slightly darker side to this, mm. and actually, the people that are taking part in this ridiculous industry may well be chewed up and spat out by it themselves.
3: Yeah, perhaps one of the uh, saddest parts uh, uh, of this whole social influence of business is that we must, by default, have hundreds Mm. of thousands, if not millions of young teenagers who are indeed influenced by these buffoons into thinking, if only I buy this makeup or this bikini, um, then I too can film myself lolling by the pool at some Mm. monstrous hotel in Dubai. It's not much to aim for in life, really. But... I have one um, sort of related question for you about all this, because Mm. obviously you're renowned as one of the most credible (laughs) and important social influences of your generation. Um, Maybe maybe 20 years ago, young people wanted to go and spend the summer in Ibiza getting turned Mm. away from clubs like... Pasha and amnesia. Before that it was Magaluf, you know, having a jolly on the...
1: Or on all the yeah, or
3: exactly, Anapa yeah. as well. And when I was young, everybody wanted to go to America. So my question is, what is it about Dubai, rather worryingly positioned, overlooking Iran? Mm. It's in the United Arab Emirates. It's um, illegal to be gay. Freedom of speech is not permitted. And women are seen as a sort of necessary nuisance in life. Uh, the temperature seems to be always about a hundred deg- degrees Fahrenheit so what is it about you young people and Dubai
1: well it, the interesting thing bless you for saying you young people as <laughs> always Um the thing is is that I'm with you on this I have yeah. never ever seen the appeal of dubai now i don't know why but it's just not something that's ever appealed to me and i've got several friends that have you know particularly professional sort of lawyers finances that sort of thing who have gone out to dubai to kind of make make their make their fortune there and I, it seems to me i i haven't talked about them in detail as to why they've done it but i think people like it because for, in lots of ways they see it as a holiday from life it is one of those kind of paradises that is almost too good to be true. And actually, we all know that if something is, is too good to be true, nine times out of ten, that is very that is very much the case usually. And things... Well, I often feel that Dubai is literally a house built upon sand, isn't it? I've, mm. I feel that it will <laughs> it will collapse at any moment in time. And there is this kind of... It does feel, and I know this is a, a word du jour at the moment, but it does feel like a bubble. and And maybe... The fact that it is a holiday from life appeals to people. I think that people, whether they will admit to it or not, are still very much enamoured with the idea of... um, of uh, of wealth, I think, and and prosperity, I think, and success, and Dubai have m- managed to market themselves as you know, it's like Ibiza, but it's but they've managed to, to pull professionals in and not just you know our Love Islander friends, but you know people like mm. I say, people in the in in big financial industries, because they've managed to sell themselves. You know, it's like Ibiza where you can have a great time, but you can also go out there to work and make lots of money as well. I think that's that that's the key to it. It appeals to people's materialism as well as their hedonism so that's that's a, a formula that they've managed to come up with i think personally I, I also worry in some cases whether and it's interesting isn't it how the psyche works but we've t- we've th- thought a lot i think and talked a lot in this country about you know brexit that's happened that well i think it will always be happening personally but um, which is part of the problem with it but it's but it has happened and I think that there is a where they were successful the campaigners was they managed to tap in to a long stream a, a sort of a rich seam of nostalgia and why aren't, you know, the good old days, that sort of thing. And I do wonder if amongst particularly some of the financial fraternity, there is a bit of a strand of conservatism in which there are some people that go out there that pre- perhaps might think, oh well, isn't it good that women know their place and that, you know, you can't drink and all that sort of thing. And actually, you will periodically get these stories of younger people having been locked up for seven years for drinking on a beach or, you know, kissing someone on a beach or something thing and i do actually think that there are a lot of that, that there might be a small amount of people that go there for those reasons but there also might be a, a lot more younger people like these influencers that you know get themselves into a lot of trouble because they simply don't think it through because they think they're just going out to this you know beautiful kind of they like you say a holiday from life you know they can just leave behind their you know their cares and their boredom and you know let's face it i i I mean i don't agree with what these people are doing as influencers but i think it is more understandable than ever why people would want to leave a country that is in lockdown without much sign of end that has had a hundred thousand deaths due to coronavirus and is going through a period of economic turbulence because of that and because of brexit which is not likely to end anytime soon i do get why people want to go and embrace paradise but um it's not all what it seems
3: no and they can they can get on with with it without uh, without you yes. and me i know. <laughs> yeah
1: they, they, they can struggle through i think <laughs> yes 40
3: years since the release of sandinista by the mm. clash um an underrated treasure or a massive folly uh, <laughs> that's next after the clash right. hey! oh just like that. Although it wasn't one of the four singles taken from the gargantuan album it mm. was and is one of the most familiar and accessible tracks from the winter of 1980 featuring mikey dread and from the album sandinista the clash and one more time mm. now um joe strummer especially in the early years of the clash he tended to dive in and offer support to political causes based on mm such flimsy reasons as a liking for their logo or their style of clothing Mm. and then scrambling around to find justifications for his support of causes such as the IRA and the Italian guerrilla group, the Red Brigade. Um, Later in life, at least privately, he looked back with regret at some of his naivety Mm. and double standards. In a similar vein, he liked the sound of the word Sandinista and Mm. enjoyed saying it out loud in a sort of challenging sort of way. Sandinista! Um, But with very little knowledge of the revolution in Nicaragua from where the revolutionaries were formed. This didn't stop him from pressing for the Clash's fourth album to be called Sandinista. It was a triple album that got a lot of negative reviews upon its release. From my perspective, perhaps, I don't know this probably says a lot, this week I played it all 36 tracks. Um, mm. Two hours, 24 minutes, from start to end, for the first time in 40 years. Wow. Before I say anything more, Jules, from someone who wasn't even born when it was released, Saturday (laughs) Star, fabulous or a folly
1: well, I I think that if you're going to make an album more than more than one album's length, really, then you the longer you make that album, the better it has to be in order to justify it. I think, and uh, you know, I and I feel the same way about all sort of triple albums. All Things Must Pass by George Harrison It's probably the best record he made, but that doesn't necessarily mean that all of it is the best stuff that he's ever produced. And this is the problem: the longer that you make something. I think the problem is once you commit to making something a certain length, it's kind of going to be that length, hasn't it? Which then means that you're likely to end up with quite a lot of filler. And I think that there is some really good stuff on Sandinista. But I think this Rolling Stone review of it kind of sums it up nicely. Um, it's by Rob Sheffield, I think, where it, it says... Um, it says that at least that it describes at least a third of it. It also has loads of stoner rubbish, 36 tracks, at least one third filler. And I don't think that's a, that's a, a an unkind assessment of it. Um, triple albums at the time were uh, were rare at the time and they were reserved for proper megastars so all things must pass Yes Is Yes songs, Frank Sinatra's trilogy, so the Clash were, were trying to yeah. I mean I admire them in that it says here that they were described as punking up the format in that they priced it at $14.98 which was cheaper than a double LP so the third disc was basically a freebie and they had to make most of their mortgages kind of gone to make that happen so in a way you do think well they weren't doing it to make money they were kind of doing it for artistic reasons however misguided in places so i i have I have time for them in that respect. That they weren't trying to make it as a money spinner. They would try. They would do quite the opposite, in fact. But I'd never felt the same way about Sandinista. Ever since I read a book that my then university housemate uh, gave to me, years, well, donkeys years ago now. Um, it's uh, it's by Andrew Holmes, and it's called Sleb. It's uh, you can still get it fairly cheaply online because I think it's long hmm. since out of print. And it's uh, it's got a very catchy, uh, sort of eye-catching orange and yellow, sort of uh, orange, orange and white, sort square cover and basically that the story itself is about someone that appears to have murdered an extremely famous pop star and they're trying to work out why but there's a brilliant side plot in it which i think is a good comment on the on the fleeting nature of celebrity as well in that there is a tube train in it that is going through a tunnel and it becomes stuck and it ends up stuck there for about eight or nine hours, I think. And, of course, the people are on the train that are all co- sort of going completely crazy, apart from one chap called Tony, who's been into, I think it would have been Tower Records at the time, somewhere like that, and has bought some things for himself, including a copy of Sandinista by The Clash, which he just, you know, because he sees all this, you know, he sees that the train's not moving. He puts on Sandinista on his Discman and listen, puts his headphones on and listens to it once and then thinks, oh, I'll listen to it again, and he's reading his book can basically becomes briefly very famous as the man that just didn't notice that he was trapped on a tube train for eight hours because he was so engrossed in listening to Sandinista and I love the idea that listening through Sandinista two or three I can't remember how many times he listens to it but it's two or three times I love the fact that 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 is kind of in use to indicate how long they've been down there but he just doesn't (laughs) notice at all so I always think of people trapped on a tube train when I think of Sandinista because I think that was just such a lovely little little detail in what is quite a good book i i mean you know i think it got it gets three and a half stars on things like goodreads but so i would recommend it but yes thanks to thanks to andrew holmes whenever you mention sandinista i just think of a chap who doesn't even exist who i don't even know sat on this tube train Mm. with headphones on and that's good writing i think i can almost picture what Tony looks like and so so maybe it's a good for if you get trapped somewhere and need to pass some time i don't know
3: Just as its uh, predecessor, London Calling, would have made a decent single album instead of a double with some Mm. filler. So Sandinista could have been also an absolute belter of a single album. And it's very telling that a single disc version um, yeah. Version only mm. was sent to the press and radio, and that, that was a belter. I had, yeah. I've got a copy of it um, here. It's, it's, an, it's, mm. an, it's only got twelve. Um, you know, the original vinyl that was sent out. Yeah. It's got twelve tracks on it, and I think that speaks uh, of, of, of <laughs> yeah. it. I mean, the reason for making it a triple. Album was fatuous. I mean, The Clash signed with the CBS label and then spent about ten years whining about it. And they they all signed the contract mm. in Soho Square uh, and were happy to take up the advance and they then made maurice oberstein's life a misery who was head of cbs in the uk and really only made this triple album to annoy cbs it, it, it seems rather silly really and mm. in in turn any listeners to the album um, you know also aggravated by it because about 20 of the six 36 tracks are absolutely dire and maybe mm. half of those really should never even have been recorded never mind released there's one track, uh, Mensah's Hill, which is another track on the album played backwards. And, you know, that ah. makes sense the album. Another one features the vocals of uh, Mickey Gallagher, the keyboard player's children, singing hmm. uh, Career Opportunities. It's a really rotten album, unless you modify it yes. and pick out maybe 10 or 12 tracks that should have made one strong single album.
1: Absolutely.
3: Um, I, I, I couldn't agree more, frankly. Mm-hmm. Right. But just uh, finally, on triple albums generally, you're absolutely right. Well, all Things Must Pass is way too long. It's got all these sort like, of jamming sessions on it. Yes Songs was a bloated mm. nightmare. The, um, I could only think, knowing we were going to talk about this, I could only think of two triple albums that work. One is Woodstock. And the other one is the band's last waltz because mm. they are live and feature a whole range of artists. Yeah. So, you know, my, my uh, advice to uh, all recording artists everywhere is if you're thinking of making a triple album, here's my advice. Chuck twenty songs away.
1: Well, quite, and and actually, it's a bit. I know this seems probably a bit sacrilegious for some people, but um, but my friends and I occasionally engage in a game, which is let's make one CD out of the White Album. And mm-hmm. uh, and that is and, and Again, it's always interesting exactly that that so. that that, mo- that sometimes you get a bit of variations between differences. It's always interesting to see how different the albums are, but nine times out of ten, most of the core cool tracks are the same, which which demonstrates that perhaps it would have been better as a single album if there is a large consensus over to what is good and what isn't.
3: It's when bands or artists get um, s- too big for their own boots and there's nobody to say, there's mm. no producer, there's no manager who's got enough power uh, without losing their job for saying mm. so, to say, laments, you know, this. This isn't don't, great. Don't do, this, yeah. Don't do
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
3: Yeah. Well, thanks very much for listening uh, this week. Mm. Um, yes, agreed number of listeners going up and up and up we see from the stats
1: Oh, um, see that—that that is very exciting hi if you're new to this then uh then yeah apologies if we keep making refer- references back to certain things it's a, it's a difficult kind of line to tread but it's really lovely that so many people are along i think it's it's grand
3: now i'm so glad that you're not going to dubai for the weekend because <laughs> that means you'll be on the radio
1: yeah absolutely although perhaps i you know maybe because my show is smooth sailing there are a lot of yachts in dubai aren't there so maybe that could be justified as an essential trip to go and make smooth sailing where there are boats but rest assured i will be making smooth sailing and uh, we record this on sunday the 7th of february and i am recording well i'm doing live smooth sailing this evening from 7 to 9 p.m on my mixler channel which is mixlr.com slash juliet hyphen harris uh, if you pop along to there then you can listen to all my previous shows if you if you do want to do a bit more sailing than two hours then you can click the showreel button but yeah we do yacht rock uh, easy listening classic pop mor all that kind of thing just sort of uplifting uh, music for a sunday evening
3: i'm enjoying your uh, current idea here for of picking unlikely reggae covers of hit Tunes.
1: Well, yes, I'm glad that you are. I, I, this all stemmed from last week. I picked a uh, uh, Prince Fatty's incredible version of, <laughs> of of Insane in the Brain, which is originally by Cypress Hill. Because I played that, I did a, a radio show for my friend's birthday, and I played that, which he adored. It was new to him, and he was very, very pleased with it. So I thought I'd, uh, I'd go through and find a few more, a few more reggae covers that I really enjoy, and I particularly like this one, um, because it's called something different, so it's not. Oh called after the song that it's covering but it is a, a, a pretty much a, a straight cover and um, they do their only, they do their own kind of spin on some of the lyrics but it, I think it is lovely, it's got such, it's such a beautiful song anyway but I think it's a good reinterpretation, it's originally by Simon and Garfunkel and recorded by them as the only living boy in New York but this is the tenors and annoyingly we're spelling that with two two N's and an O, so something for everyone there I think um, and this is their version of it which is called Weather Report. No.
2: Get your plane right on time
1: a Parish Council production.